This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Are you ready? Ready to rock. Guys, welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. Matt Gentry's here. Before we get into it with Matt, let's talk about a little bit of business. I want to thank my sponsors. One of them is Broadbeck Ironworks, Broadbeck Ironworks, makers of the 2x72 grinder. It is an awesome machine made by knife makers who know what you need in order to move material for knife makers, metal workers, sculptors. It don't matter. It's for you. This is a great piece of machinery, and it is for you. And if you go to broadbeckironworks.com, put in the promo code KNIFETALK10, you're going to get 10% off all the grinders, attachments, parts, all that stuff. These are great guys. Uh, I had them on the podcast, and uh, I love these machines. So go get yourself one of them Broadbeck Ironworks 2x72 grinders. And then go get yourself an even heat. Even Heat is the manufacturer of the finest heat treat ovens available. To find your next oven, go to evenheat-kiln.com. Look at the tap control. Look at the solid-state drive. Look at the LB series where there's no coils on the back. If you are hardening anything, whether it be a knife or a hammer or an axe or any type of tool that needs to be hardened, use an Even Heat. I love these things. Uh, it can't go wrong with an Even Heat. The customer service is the best. They've got figured out ways in which to make your job easier. And if you're in the tool-making business, this is the one for you. So go get yourself some of them even heats and look at evenheat-kiln.com. Next is my friends at uh, Nordic Edge. That's no at Nordic underscore Edge on Instagram. They are awesome. Pro, they have pro tools for knife makers and blacksmiths and bladesmiths. So they do te they teach classes in Australia. They also sell kits. So they also sell parts. They also sell all the stuff you're going to need to get squared away if you're forging, if you're not forging, if you're uh, working on Anything that's going to get you squared away or if you want to even learn about stuff, learn about how to do it, they teach classes. So go check out nordicedge.com.au and get yourself squared away with them. Get yourself some of their grinding stuff. Get some of the kits. Get some of the handle material. Get one of the big Mert file guides. That thing's awesome. They also have these awesome tang hole saws. They have bevel, beveling jigs, and it is dynamite. So go check out what's going on over there and uh, support them. Support the, the guys over at Nordic Edge and and I appreciate you. Next is Lawrence Lake, my guy, over at Maritime Knife Supply. It's maritimeknifesupply.ca for all your knife-making needs, belts, abrasives, steel, kilns, forges, heat treating ovens, presses, all that stuff, whatever you need to get supplied or resupplied. Uh, they're in Canada, but they ship with ease. And funny, funny enough, anytime we ever talk about what they got going on or what somebody needs, Lawrence always sends a message and say, I can get it. So if you, number one, you want to get abrasive packs. If you get a pack of 10, you get 10% off, which is great. You can get, you can get everything over at anything you need. If you're, especially in your Canada, it's hard to get stuff. Maritime Knife Supply is dynamite. And they're also sponsoring the Great Lakes Custom Knife Show, uh, August 19th in Ontario. It's the Canada's largest knife show in uh, on Lake Huron. So go follow Great Lakes Custom Knife Show or see the greatlakescustomknifeshow.com for more information. But I'm telling you, these guys got everything. They got everything. They got Damasteel. They got combat abrasive stuff. They have all the stuff you need. They got file guides. They got uh, uh, Rockwell chisels. They got anything you think you need. He'll get it because he's also a knife maker. Lawrence Lake goes to the, the New England School of Metalwork quite often, and um, he, he knows what you need. And you know what you might need? You might need some, uh, some uh, 
Gator piss. You know about gator piss? Gator piss is etchant. You're thinking to yourself, whoa, what is going on? Well, Baker Forge, Baker Forge and Tool, that's BakerForge.com. They make great quality Damascus and pattern welded steels and exotic laminates like uh, copper Damascus and bronze mai and all these cumis and all these different exotic steels, which I use. They're great, especially if you're a stock removal guy, but they make this stuff called gator piss. I know. I, I, listen, I didn't name it, but people love it. That's for sure. So it's an etchant. If, you, if you're making knives and you need to etch Damascus and you want to get that nice contrast, you know, the shiny part is shiny and then the black part's black. That's the distance between the high carbon steel and then the high nickel steel. So, well, the contrast between the two, I was being quick. And if you want to get that done, you stick it in some ferric chloride and water and then you end up getting something good. And what Baker Forge has done is they figured out, well, we're going to make a, a etchant specifically ready to go. You don't have to make any adjustments. You don't have to add anything to it. And he, they named it Gator Piss. And they have it at Maritime Knife Supply. So definitely go check out Baker Forge and Tool. Go check out what they're doing. Uh, their, their steels are beautiful, and uh, I love them very much. Uh, and if you go to bakerforge.com and then you put in the promo code Full Blast, you get... You get uh, you get free uh, you get ten percent off, so definitely go check out what's going on over at Baker Forge. Full Blast gets you ten percent off, and you can get Gator Piss at Maritime Knife Supply as well as DIY Europe. Okay, I I can't believe it, but my friend uh, Sam Evans over at Trojan Horse Forge was watching the Yankees and the Houston Astros play. And we had a four-game series, and he was chirping at me. He was chirping at me because he's from Texas, and Houston was whooping up on him, and he was chirping at me the whole time. Well, he should have been working on his Trojan Horse, for Trojan Horse Forge stable rail knife finishing vices. Obviously, I'm just kidding. I did harass him a little bit too, so just don't don't worry about it. So you had the you had the Houston Astros and the Yankees, and we were going back and forth. But I'll tell you what, Sam's a great guy. I can get him on the phone. He's fantastic. Him and Jeff are making the stable rail knife finishing vice. Vice is built in the heart of Texas. They're, uh, they make your handle finishing and hand sanding so much easier. Their plates bolt on, and then you can put your knife on there and then hand sand it, in, and then you can also sand and carve your handle. So i tell you what, this thing is awesome, and I love it. And I had a friend of mine who came to make a knife, and he's just like, whoa, this thing is serious. I'm like, yeah, serious. It's great. And he, lo he was turning the knife around he was really surprised at how great it worked so definitely check out what's going on with those guys um and if you go to trojanhorseforge.com and then you put in the promo code full blast you get free shipping in the united states so how good is that next is my friends at total boat i almost went to the big floatathon i don't think they call it that but they had a boat building thing in rhode island and i got the call from Kristen. she said why don't you come up and watch the boats go and i couldn't and i wish i had because the best of the best were out there and they were all making boats using total boat uh, total boat products and the boats they were making were floating because they used the total boat products i'll tell you go to totalboat.com slash full blast and you can get uh you can get a discount, uh, and you, it's, an, it's an affiliate code that helps me out and helps everybody out, uh, helps them out, helps me out, helps the podcast out. I've been using the Total Boat two-part epoxy <clears throat> for handle scales, and it has been dynamite. So definitely go check out what's going on at Total Boat. Uh, if it's good enough for Keith Decent, Derek from Malden, Keith Johnson, Jimmy DeResta, all them guys, it's good enough for you, all right? 
Next is my friends at GL Hanson and Sons, uh, GL, GL, G.L. Underscore Hanson and Sons. They're makers of G Carta, which is a unique composite of natural fibers, fabrics to make and mixed with epoxy under pressure and heat. It is awesome. And if you go to gcarta.bigcartel.com, you can see it. You can buy it there. Uh, it's like a cross, it's almost like cross cut. It's cross-cut like micarta, but the micarta is high colors, and they, they do a great job. And some of the colors, there's Bofa, there's Ripple Cut, there's Tuxini by Mikey, Mahi Mahi, Radio Worm, G. Carta, there's Pheasant by Mikey, Colorama, and I just did a knife out of Hoopla by Mikey, which I think might be my favorite. And then they did a Hoopla variation where I got to use, I got to name it Electric Fuzz. They're constantly coming up with new, new stuff, and it really will make your handles pop a lot. And there's a lot of guys using them, and, and the Everyone who does it does such a nice job. So definitely check out what's going on with uh, GL Hanson and Sons. GL underscore Hanson and Sons on Instagram. Go check out what they're doing for sure. And all my all the promo codes and everything are in the, the show notes. And last but not least, thank you, thank you, thank you to Tormek. They just celebrated 50 years of being in business with the Black T8 sharpening system. It's a water-cooled sharpening system that I I, I swear by. I, was, I got it years ago, and I used, it was operator error. And for me, as far as uh, sharpening knives with an electric sharpener for like high performance, uh, this is the best. My my knives have never been sharper. It's water cooled wheel. You can get different wheels, different attachments, and I have three because I'm extra. And it has made my life so much easier. I can just take material off in a very systematic way. I'm not burning the knives. I'm not putting too much pre- I'm not tuning too much heat on the knives. And I don't use the jigs. You can use the jigs. But if you're an axe maker, you're a knife maker. Uh, if you're even in the restaurant game and you're just like, my people here don't know how to keep their knives sharp, get yourself one of them uh, Tormex. And if you go to Tormec.com, you can see what's going on, T-O-R-M-E-K, or check out Tormec underscore sharpening on Instagram. <sighs> Thank you once again, guys, for last week. Uh, I didn't do the, the ad reads last week. It's just with, with, uh, with Bob on. It just... For some reason, I just didn't feel like it was right to have a good time and be all chatty and jumpy and, you know, nutsy and stuff like that. So uh, I want to thank my sponsors for being cool about it. And um, thank you for all the kind words I've received in regards to Bob. And obviously, go follow Bob Rankin, and he's got that uh, that awesome... um, that awesome raffle that's going on for his knives um where we have so last but not least bob rankin custom knives uh he's got two knives that are going to be up for a raffle a k-tip and a santuco made with all this great stuff and and uh if that's just i mean you don't really even need to know what the knives are knives are made out of in order to know that it's a good cause so go to bobrankin.com bob RankinCustomKnives.com and get yourself a couple stickers, uh, and it will be going on through the 31st of August. Without any further ado, my guest is a very interesting guy. Matt Gentry is a knife maker that I've known for a long time and known of for a long time. This is the first time I've ever talked. His knives are awesome to watch, and the, the evolution of design is something that very few knife makers are able to do in the way that Matt has. Matt Gentry, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. What an ad read. Holy, I got a little nap in there. Now I'm ready to rock and roll. I know. Uh, I know. <clears throat> no, everything's going good, and I've been looking forward to talking to you a little bit because we've never really sat down and had much of a conversation. I remember a long time ago, I 
think I reached out to you and you helped me a little bit with uh, serrations. Just really? Like you probably done yeah a long time ago, long time mm-hmm. ago. And uh, yeah, we've just gone back and forth a little bit, but never really had a chance to chat. So I'm excited about it. Well, you're you're a great guy. You you were on the uh, you were in the in the knife talk in the knife talk community for a long time, which I've always appreciated. Um, one of the interesting things that uh, you know, knife talk is fun because we kind of we talk around we honestly honestly we talk around knives that we see online uh, on Instagram. Really, I mean, it's really the knife making community on Instagram is probably different than the knife making community abroad. You know, and 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 so you end up meeting people and talking to people in the DMs and, and you kind of creating these these environments. I, there's one thing that always kind of bothered me, which was something that a lot of knife makers say. Well, you can only do something, you can only do so much with a sharp and pointy object. It's usually, you know, Craig says says it, and you know, and and, and I used to think, ah, oh, if this was a song, is are all the songs written? You know, is that, are, are all the songs written? Like, can we just stop writing songs? There's so many different, there's so many like avenues of creativity that are, that I think that people get stymied for, from. And when I look at your knives, I, I think the one that I'm really want to focus on is the pocket muck. The pocket muck is a knife that you make. It's a small knife. It looks like a scalpel and it seems to me to be, so recognizable as your knife. Yeah, that one, I don't know how long I've been doing that thing now, but um, it's definitely become kind of the staple, I guess. You know, I would say probably, you know, over half of the knives I put out now is, you know, that design and different handle material, different steel, you know, the kind of whole deal with it. But that, that design has definitely become and i make a lot of them <laughs> well here's the interesting thing for from a knife making standpoint is there are a lot of people who when they start making knives they latch on to something that somebody does and then they kind of emulate it i'm not saying inspired I'm, they emulate it to a certain degree and the knives i see in terms of design that are always the ones that i love the most are the ones that come from a place of I need to make a smaller version of this. And it seems to me the pocket muck came from a position of, I had already designed the bigger one and I needed to make a smaller one. And then the smaller one became more popular because it came from this different, from this very sincere place in terms of the design of your work. Yeah. And it just, it's really unique. That's why everybody likes it. It's just, like you said, you know, you don't, there's a lot of people that do little scalpels and little stuff like that, but this one, just the way it is, um, definitely stands out from the crowd a little bit. And I, I mean, that's probably why it's so popular. And when, you know, I think that a, what happens a lot of times is people design a knife and they are looking at it from, you know, a knife maker's point of view. And you kind of have to think of it more from a customer's point of view to where if you've seen that knife, it's got a full flat grind. You know, they're relatively, um, you know, easy to make as far as, you know, it's not super specific bevel, real crispy this, it's a flat grind, but it performs good, it looks good, and um, it's really just worked out, worked out really good for me over the last, I don't know, I've probably been making that thing for a couple of years now, I think. I would think so. It seems yeah. to me like you've been making that knife for quite a while. It's interesting that what you just said, and I don't think that a lot of knife makers really kind of adhere to that is in terms of making something that the customer wants. Yeah. 
And that's, I, you, and I don't, I mean, I, the same way I, when I make a knife, like my, my other model that I do a lot of, I call it the Trekker H and it's got kind of a mid bevel that I freehand grind every one of them. It's, and I've made a couple hundred of them now, including the minimalist version and that grind still challenges me every single time I do it. It challenges me. You know what I mean? And the people, the average person buying a knife doesn't appreciate those little things. Well, the real in, into it guys do, but the average person doesn't see what goes into that. So, so when I came out with this knife, I kind of thought of it like, okay, what's going to look good? What's going to be something that I can pretty much do without, you know, having to be, I'm sure you've done it where you kind of have to be in the right mindset to grind a certain bevel on a certain design. I like to be able to do it and almost turn my brain off and just know, okay, I got to get 10 of these done today. Let's do it and move on. You know what I mean? I, I don't, I tend to not, I try to do, there's an expression that a guy I used to work with used to say, he used to say, got to kill the doubt. Like, let's just kill the doubt. And I, I don't want to put myself ever in a precarious situation where I, this might not work. Like, I always try to overthink what I should be doing in order to make it easy. Like when I have, uh, I have an um, assistant who is here who's been great. He can do certain things and I kind of like lead him to those things that he does well. But at the same time, you know, there are things that I have to kind of, you know, I have to do myself, which is fine. But I know I try not to put myself in this position of like, I hope this works. Like I yeah. recently, I just broke a knife last week wow. and I was too, I broke the knife, it broke the knife and I was, cause I was stupid. I was, I was, I, uh, clamped it into a vice and then that from the handle and I was drying and I, and I put too much epoxy on and then it stuck to the handle stuck to the, uh, stuck to the vice and then I was hitting it and I hit it so hard the blade snapped off. Wow. And it was like and I was mad I was mad at myself. I never do that. You know, I, it was like it was one of those things I was just like I just never do that. And and it was like it bummed me out and it's like it was just so abnormal of me. Frankly, and this is not an ad read, but that goddamn total boat I mean a total boat like it's pretty strong. Literally <laughs> literally like screwed me up. So it was like uh, I put too much on and then there you go. So, but it's interesting that the idea of like, how do we, what do we look for in terms of what we're trying to make for our customers and where we're going in terms of how confident we are in what we're doing? Yeah. And I think it, it, I get a lot of people that ask me, oh, I'm doing this. Do you think I should be a full-time knife maker? Do you think this? And you have to look past all these things and actually look at what it means and what it's like. Okay. When you're making seven, eight knives a week, week after week after week after week, it's kind of uh, the same thing. You want to be able to do that smoothly, have the littlest amount of problems as possible. Right. And when you're designing those knives, you kind of have to think that far out. Like, okay, do I want to make a hundred of this knife or do I want, or is it challenging to where if I have to make a hundred, it's going to be a problem. You know what I mean? The bit down that road, yeah. bit down that road, uh, the be the first big batch of knives I did, I think I did twenty six, and six of them had a hard time in the heat treatment, and it was like I was really nervous, like did I bite off more than I could chew, and um, I you know back to people saying to you, should I go full time knife? I blame knife talk for the most part for even coming up with the echoing the terminology of like full-time versus part-time and like yeah I, I think that knife makers i think we've all i think i blame knife talk and then the rest of us for using the same words over and over again instead of thinking like 
are you in business or you're not in business? It's 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 not like should I go full time? I mean, you don't. If you were like a you know, if you were like a, a hot dog guy, you like making hot dogs. Like, would you say should I make, go full time into making hot dogs? <laughs> no, you would be like Am I, hot dog maker. Yeah, I mean, I, got are, you. I mean, I got are, you. are you in business or not? You know, and, <laughs> and I think that as knife makers, we've we found something that we can do. We enjoy doing it, and other people want to buy them. But then at the same time, it's like, um, well, should I do this for a living or not? Yeah, it's and a whole different a, world, man. It really is. And and I, I honestly tell most people that reach out, uh, you know, I tell them it's not for everybody. It's especially, you know, I know that um, a lot of people that are doing it and doing it full time, maybe have their wife works and has a good job. Or maybe, you know, there's very few people I see that I talk with, which we talked about earlier. I don't talk with a ton of people, but for me... My wife stays home with my son who's six and this is like my full-time thing and I support, you know, there's no other income whatsoever for my family. So that having that in mind, kind of back to where we're talking about, you have to have all these designs planned and everything to where you can't, you can't have problems. You know what I mean? What did you do before you were a knife maker? Well, so uh, about, I think I've been doing this now for maybe six or seven years, something like that. And then before then I owned a auto detail shop with, huh. uh, which is, he's, he's actually still one of my best friends. We owned it together. And I don't know how long I did that for, uh, quite a few years, you know, before that. And it kind of got, and it was actually right before COVID when I decided to do the knife thing full time, because I would, I would go into the detail shop and either, you know, work till five, come home, and then work out in the shop because I at that time I had quite a few uh, knife orders. You know, I had just slowly, slowly kind of built it up to where it was kind of just a little side hustle or whatever. You know, right. and and uh, but then it finally got to where I'm like, this doesn't make any sense at all. And uh, so I sold out that half of the business, and he's still doing that, and we're we're still friends and everything. And uh, now I'm just doing this. I think I've been, like I said, full, full time for maybe four or five years now, something like that. Is car detailing, forgive me, is it just mm -hmm. cleaning? Is it, a, yeah, is it, it was heavy like, duty? Yeah, like we, so I guess it all started because my dad used to work or used to work for a dealership here in town. I started working there with him, cleaning cars out back. And then that's when we started to do it for ourselves. We rented a little building. And yeah, basically it would be like if you traded in your car at this dealership, they'd send it to us. We clean, you know, shampoo it, buff it, do the whole thing, send it back so it looks, you know, as new as possible, you know. And unfortunately, that whole business, it was like at the end of the day, you know, it didn't matter how much you worked, the it just wasn't worth it. There's so much labor involved in it, you know. Um, and you just couldn't get people to pay. So anyways, that's uh well, I got some more questions. Don't go. That's all. I, I, number one is when you get into anybody's car, mm -hmm. do you automatically judge how clean the car is? Yeah, it's just gross, man. <laughs> <laughs> you knew it. I knew it. You don't go to anybody's car. You're just like, I'm not getting into this. It's like a health yeah. inspector. I met a health inspector and he said to me, I don't eat at other people's houses because they're filthy. And I can so imagine. So you get into someone's car. What what is the first thing you're looking at? Like the fan, the like the vents and stuff like that. Oh man, just just talking about it, just bringing back bad memories. <laughs> Bring you know it what back. I, mean? I want the bad memories. I did some nasty stuff there, man. And it's like, <laughs> uh, 
Well, hope I always tell my wife, and I'm like, man, I hope I don't have to go do that again. <laughs> I bet. I hope I can keep that rocking and my arm doesn't break or something weird. I can just keep on rolling and I don't have to go back to that because it was, uh, yeah, man, oh man. What were the, fun. what were the real, what were the, was it the, was it in Okay, between? listen. I listen. I'm listening, all ears. <laughs> Probably one of the grossest things we ever had to do, okay? Go ahead. This is so So, this guy comes in and he was driving. I even remember what kind of car it was. He was driving one of those little Toyota Priuses. Okay. Oh, sure. And, uh, he comes in and he says, well, I got kind of a problem here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, all right, what's up. And he takes me and he take the opens the front seat. And he's like, so my wife just had our baby in the front seat of our car. Oh my God. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> Why am I in this position? So you had to, did you clean it up? Oh, we got her cleaned up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was. Uh, oh my God. That is intense. And I'm sure. Just thinking like, about it. I don't, oh my God. <laughs> I was, uh, I'm prepared. I'm not prepared for a lot of things. Okay. You smoke cigarettes in your car or whatever. Like, but I'm not, a, I'm yeah, not prepared for humanity. And my and not- AJ, that's my partner. You know, he was like, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I'm like, all right, you do it. It's all good. You know, and he started doing it and he almost barfed. And I was like, oh, I don't blame him. And I'm like, dude, we got it. You know, we said we'd do it. If you said you're going to do it, we got to do it. So then I had to take over and end up doing the whole thing. And it was oh, like, man. God, can you imagine? I, I don't think, I don't think maybe it's a New York thing. Maybe it's just a me thing. If that happened in my, I, I could never tell anybody what happened. And I could, if I brought it to you, either I would have to figure out something else or I would yeah, have to try to Yeah, I spilled it some Kool-Aid here, buddy. This is just, I just spilled my pot yesterday and it's all good, you know? I'm just, I'm just saying that I would either, I would probably have to, I would probably be like, there's no way I'm taking this, taking this in. But that's a Midwestern thing. You guys are nice people. Yeah, I, I think it is. I, a little bit, you know, a little bit. If you say you're going to do something, you do it, and that's all there is to it. You know? What's the longest time it took you to detail a car? And I'm, I'm, what I'm amazed at is you would do it for a car dealership. So, like, their expectations were extraordinarily high. Yeah, well, it was kind of like the bread and butter, you know. It was like you always oh, had yeah. work from the car dealerships to where you could pretty much get as many cars as you wanted. And then the retail customers were like where you charge a little more. And you actually kind of have to do a little bit better job on those. So those, you know, those dealer cars, when we first started off, it was like we would each try to get two to three done per day. And then. Oh, that's that's not a lot. Well, right. So you got that's what I'm saying. So it's like you got to charge a lot. And it really just got to where it was like I'm working my life away. Uh, and it, it kind of hit a cap to where it was like, OK, you can only charge this much and you can only get this much done. So the only answer to make more money is work more. And that wasn't what I was trying to do. And basically what happened is I was, like I said, I started doing the knife thing and it kind of took off a little more than what I ever expected it to. And I got to where I had a little bit of an order log going. And like I said, I would either, a lot of times I'd get up two or three hours before I'd go to work and I'd go work in the shop and, you know, get some knife stuff done. And it got to where that first, that first kind of full year of me doing that, um, it, I made almost as much doing that as what I did doing the detail thing. And I'm like, okay, I have to definitely make a big change. But it was a hard transition, you know, just... Uh, Scary. Get, yeah, I mean, and, you know, uh, I always, I guess I could have fell back on it. It's not like if I left and wanted to come back, I probably could have. But um, anytime you, you know, well, you know better than anybody, just getting to where you're relying on yourself, you know, for every aspect of it, it's a little stressful, you know. 
but you already done, you already established that when you started this detailing company. So you knew the kind of the ins and outs of how to kind run of, a business. But you're still like with that. Okay, I had my buddy, which you're you're relying on him as well. You're kind of like you have somebody to fall back on to where okay, if I do this, he'll pick up my slack for this, or you know, just like you've got you've always talked about. You've got a business partner, which it doesn't sound like he's hands on like in the in their not at you all. Know, but you've got somebody to get back, and you can spitball ideas and do this stuff with, which is actually pretty nice, you know? Yeah. But I mean, if it wasn't for, if you know, the hardest part is, and I think you had the upper hand is because you started a business that was based off of having, creating customers and then creating like a, this movement of, of your own labor and what it takes to do it. I don't think you would have had the same mindset to say, okay, I can, I can do knife making as a living. If I didn't already no, do the details, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, was... this is this is the problem. This is the, the big one of the big problems we run into when we get questions for knife talk is it's usually you know people who listen to podcasts are usually solitary people or they're solitary. You don't have it on the whole. I mean, well, there's a couple of shops that they play it every Monday, and God bless them. I, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, no one's getting any work done. Usually, when people are listening to podcasts, it's they're by themselves in their shop or they're or they have a job. And that they're spending their time, their, their, you know, off time working on knives and stuff like that. And a lot of them say, like, you know what, I hate my job or I don't like my job or I could do better. Or, I could do better on my own. But they don't have the experience of understanding that it's not like, it's not, it's not like this Peter Pan thing where I can just do whatever I want. And if I like it, that's good. And I'm not going to do anything I don't want to do. It's very, it's unrealistic. So the people who, have always worked for someone are the same ones who say I can I can do it better than my boss and then they say you know what I'm going to prove it by by working for myself and then all of a sudden it's just like oh, god I got to do these same thing over and over again I'm never going to be able to do it and unfortunately there's a lot of people who just don't have the temperament to say all right if this is business sometimes it's not nice yeah it's not I mean there's some people you know that are able to go to work and they make good money and they just love every second of it but i feel like very rarely is it not work and, and at the end of the day like i don't ever see myself doing anything else i'm i'm setting my whole life up i'm 33 right now i'm setting it all up to where this is what i'm gonna do you know and i know that every day i go out in the shop and you know a lot of days it's not fun it's not but i enjoy the whole process and it, like you said, I mean, I don't like working with other people and, and I don't know, I wanted to talk to you about that a little bit because now you have one or maybe two other people in the shop with you and it really changes the whole dynamic of everything. Because just for example, like when I had the detail shop, we had, you know, when we started, it was two people we hired, we ended up having five other people that worked for us. And, and it changes the whole dynamic of how you work, what you have to do, your responsibilities and all these different things and to a point where I don't, I didn't like it. I mean, I didn't like to have to, you know, make sure this guy has work and make sure, figure out why this guy didn't come in today and all this stuff. And that's kind of how I've set up this business. And even when I decided to go full time, I made a, a few decisions that I'm not ever going to have an employee in the shop. For one thing that I have to rely on and set it up to where I can really just do everything myself. And I outsource some things like, you know, like you do water jet service and 
you know, a couple little things, but even doing that, you have a problem here. And I'm like, man, so you're a lot better at that than I am. I feel like as far as being able to rely on somebody else in your shop to cover certain things. Well, you're also 33, which yep. is like, to me, I was shocked when you said you were 33. I thought you were older than 33. You're like, you have like, you have age on your, you know, on your side. I, I it took me, it took me a long time and I'm almost 50. I'm only 50 in a couple of months. And when we came to the conclusion, so my my business partner and I were like, well, I know how many I can make, but like if we want to make some money, we got to do better. And I, I've always, the hardest part is because I'm not living in New York City, it's hard to find help. Like I've had an interns and I've had assistants and they'll just, you know, get sick of it, you know, or, or they're not interested in it. Uh, I, the situation I have with my guy now is he was a knife talk listener and he really wanted to be a knife maker. And that's kind of difficult in my area. And he happens to live close by driving distance. And, you know, it all, it all worked out. And the hard part was, is you're right. When you start to have it, you have a shop and you set up, you know what you're supposed to do. And then all of a sudden you have someone to deal with. It can be hard. And I had to be, I had to come to the conclusion of if I want this business to grow, these are the things I have to do. And I might not like it, but this is what my goal end goal is. And frankly, it's great. And we've, um, what you were saying is something that I have to do, which is I, I have to be ahead of my guys to to be, I never want to be in a position where I where I'll say go sweep the floors. I hated that when I was when I was an intern, yeah. and because it's just like this is the best. I mean, obviously you need to sweep the floors, and there's nothing wrong with sweeping the floors. But at the same time, it's like I'm not gonna. I once I'll tell you this story. I once was an intern. I when I was an art major, my dad used was very not happy about it. And he says, "Well, in the summertime, you got to get jobs uh, for our as an artist assistant or intern. We're calling people up." offer to work for free you have to learn how to live like an artist and i ended up working for a who's who of amazing new york artists and i'd call up and say i just want to you know i'll do whatever i'll sweep the floors i'll be your assistant i'll you know you don't want to be paid and i work for this one guy and first day he says all right girl, just sweep the floors so i swept the floors and i'm sweeping the floors sweeping the floors sweeping the floors i swept the floors for two hours i had no he i didn't even see him next thing you know i'll go to the door the door's locked. He locked me in. He forgot I was in there. Locked me in the shop. <laughs> oh, I'm not no. kidding. Locked me in the shop. I couldn't get out. And I was like, I was, it, was, it was so inhumane. It was like, you don't even realize that I'm in. That's how insignificant I am. Oh, and then man. I had a piece of soapstone in my pocket and I wrote on the door. Frick's was a welder at the time. And I just wrote, I, I put my, uh, my outline of myself here. And I, and I said, and I wrote as a, as a joke, I said, you're lucky there are no torches here. Cause I would have cut myself out in the shape of like <laughs> Bugs Bunny going through a wall. Oh and then I ended up going through a window and down a fire escape. And then the guy, he, I ended up, he, he said, Oh, I'm sorry. I went to a, you know, I went to a baseball game or something like that. And I was just like, I ended up working for a little bit more, but it was so like that was a very, very long lines of like my humanity was completely demeaning. De yeah. It was so demeaning that he, yeah. I was sweeping, sweeping, sweeping. I was so insignificant that he forgot I was in there and locked me in the shop. Hmm. So like, I'm always very hesitant to just start say clean up. If we do something like that, we'll say, all right, for the next 15 minutes, we're just going to clean up or something like that. But I'm constantly trying to make sure that I have stuff for my guys to do because I don't want them to have to say what's next. So it, it was hard, but once I figured it out, then it became much more, you know, easy to do. And the other thing I do is, which I, if, 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 only because it's because it's 
because I'm afraid of these guys are going to get sick of it, is I constantly change what we do, you know, every few days, you know, different knife or different handles, different. And then I'm constantly throwing them around because I'm afraid if I make the guy handstand for, for six months, you're going to go, you know? Yeah. And it's like, so you have to figure out ways in which to kind of motivate people. And that has become for me far more interesting because how do we keep up? Uh, uh, how do we make sure that we're we're doing more stuff? How are we meeting deadlines? Are we getting things more? And that to me is more satisfying than me being creative. That's great, and that's it's weird. I think that's it's all how you want to do it, and I think that the fact that you can do that and you're somewhat enjoying it, that's fantastic. You know what I mean? And I know that I went through it, did it. Okay, don't want to do that ever again, and here I am. You know but here's I mean? the, but that's the thing with the cars. You can only get two cars out a day. You know, it's like you and you know. You know, I'll tell you what's 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 uh, interesting in terms of business is I got a good friend of mine who's a who's a restaurateur. He lives in a very small house, a very modest small house. He's very small, very minimal needs means him and his family. They don't they're not railing it in. And the reason why is because if you look at a restaurant, you have a certain amount of people you can get into the door. Your labor's this, your food costs that. You can only serve as this many people maximum. So all of a sudden, it's like when things get, you know, people need a raise or you need a raise or your wife is just like, we're we're going to be at the same thing. You have to open up another restaurant in order to, in order to like make more money. So these guys who are like restaurateurs are like still like, you know, broke as a joke, but it's like the only way they can make more money is to kind of invest into more businesses and then kind of plug them all in. But the whole idea of business is so foreign to the knife making game that it's like, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. Yeah, And that's, that's why I tell a lot of people like, listen, if you're asking me, if you've got this job that pays you X amount of money, which is okay. And you're asking me if you should stop doing that to be a full-time knife maker. Most of the time I would say probably don't do it. It's, it's not for everybody. It takes an insane amount of drive and, and uh stick to itiveness. That's just like a lot of people don't have it. Unfortunately. Um, and it's hard to keep motivated. And that's why I did want to talk to you a little bit about how you've kind of changed your business a little bit to where now you're solely doing a lot of drops and a lot of batch work and you've kind of cut back on the customs. And I think that, I mean, that's kind of what's cool about this whole thing is you have employees, you did this and do it this way and you're successful. And there's a lot of different ways to do this and make it successful. Um, it's kind of depending on how you are, but like for me, you know, I've had this custom order list and I guess we didn't really get into it, but that's pretty much all I do is customs. I, I don't really do any batch drops. I don't really very rarely, I guess. Um, and for me having an order list is something that it's all, it feels to me like a little bit of, uh, it's just a good feeling, I guess, because you kind of always know, okay, I've got these on here. I put them together, I do it, and that's kind of money in the bank compared to when you do these batch drops and you drop 20 knives and then you only two of them sell, you're like, oh man, you know, it's a little, I guess both both ways are stressful. Um, it's just depending on which avenue you want to take, you know. It's very interesting you say that because when I first started, I was trying to figure out ways, once the knives were to the point where I felt like I could start to sell them. I started to say, well, let me just do 10 of the same. And a lot of it was because I was working with sculpture where I was doing the same. 
Like the, I would do a, you know, I would do, t- you know, a hundred or 60 of the same giant fishing lure. And I just, because I liked the way it looked as like a group of 60, you know, it's, so I would do this group. Of, I did a group of 10 small, you know, let's say EDC pocket, you know, like a, a, a folding, uh, a straight knife, uh, a regular, uh, uh, a goddamn one knife that goes in a holster. Sure. Yeah. What are they called again? It's a fixed knife. Fixed knife. That's right. I don't, for some reason, I couldn't come up with fixed knife. And it was like like a picnic knife, like the size of like a paring knife. And I decided I was going to do 10 of them, all orange handles. And I made them all the same. I really wanted to see if I could do everything the same. I did them all the same. Everything looked great and stuff like that. And I thought, all right, these are going to sell. I got all these messages saying, hey, I love that. Can I do it in blue? Hey, I love that. Can I do it in red? Hey, can I love that? Can I do it in black? Hey, can yeah. I love it? And I was like, it. I ended up selling them all over time. But I was just like, I'm never doing this again because people just want what they want. Yeah. And for years, when we, my business partner and I first started doing it together, we were taking custom orders just because, I mean, that was how it was. I mean, that's I was getting choked with orders. There was one point where I had a... And we were... In the beginning, we would take a, a, um, a small percentage as a disc as a, a um, deposit but then people wouldn't pay you know and then all of a sudden it was like it was hunting people down and my business partner made the decision like we're you if you want if you want a custom knife you got to pay for it all the whole thing we're not we're not spending time and energy going back and forth in terms of payment programs it's not yeah. happening so we got to the point where we were taking you know the whole amount we had a hundred yeah. knives already paid for and i hadn't made them yeah, so, that, that would wear me right out. I don't. I could. I don't like when people pay for the knives up front. It, it puts this like weight on me. That's like, wow. I now I owe them. Well, you know there's I mean? a couple like things. There's a couple things. In the beginning, I was like, I was, and this wasn't my idea. I wasn't my preference. But it was like, in order for us to be paid and to pay for things and have things done and be able to pay rent and be able to pay this and insurance, you know, we needed cash flow in too. And there was a time where Tony, I was like, oh God, I got to know all these. And Tony would say to me, just don't think about it like that. Just fuck, just think about it some other way. He's like, and then the problem really was when you, when somebody pays, then they start to say, how's it going? Or oh. I want to, de- you know, once in a while you get a type A personality person who is used to getting a status report every day. And yep. once in a while you get a guy like that saying, how'd it go today? How'd it go today? How'd it go today? Oh, and then I would, you know, be, I had these nice emails. I'd write all these emails and stuff like that. And what happened was, was it was, it was, and a lot of knife makers say, don't take it all. Don't take any of it. The problem is, is in order to do business, sometimes you, you, there needs to be cash flow. You need to figure something out. The most important thing was, was to be very aware of what, what I was doing, where I needed to be. And I had, everybody had their months that it was coming out. And I've never once screwed one person. I've never once screwed one person. And if I ever had to do a, dis, uh, a refund, we did the refund. And I would have like, even if we didn't have the money, I would have like begged, borrowed. I would have done whatever it took to, to, to make it right. So the hard part is, is, is to get your mind away from that, the pressure of all that. And yeah, as long as you know you're not a flea bag and you're going to pay it, you're going to do it, you do it. So having a guy here was the first time we were able to clear the decks. I have two custom orders now that are both are the last two. Every so often, somebody wants something different and we put them on the board. And now that I'm doing drops, but at the same time, I'm not Montana Knife Company. When I do a drop, in sometimes it'll we'll sell everything. A lot of times we won't. 
And it's like, is it disappointing? 100%. But at the same time, you know, over the, the interesting thing is with the website now, with, st- with inventory in stock, people can go to your website and they can see that everything doesn't say out of stock. Well, you'll get a casual sales here and there, and it's nice. Like all of a sudden, you know, July was weird, but then at the end of July, a guy came in and bought three knives. You know, it's yeah. like, wow, that was really cool. And it's not easy. Business isn't easy. It no. isn't easy. No, but that's what's cool about this. Like I said, it's like you can really go at it from a lot of different directions. But at the end of the day, um, you still have to just be a hard worker and it's you can't take the easy way out, you know. And I'm seeing that a lot and it's not, I don't, I, I'm not saying this to like talk down on different business mottos or whatever, but a lot of people that I see, you know, they kind of grow in the community a little bit you can see they're moving some knives and then they say okay i'm not taking customs anymore okay that's cool you're doing drops that's great and then they switch to where okay now i'm doing to where all my handles are cnc'd and then my blades are water jet cut and then they're heat treated outsourced and then all i'm doing is grinding bevels and bolting handles on and and if you can do that that's fantastic. I mean, more power to you. I think it's super cool. But I, I think that at least me personally, I I like the handmade aspect of yeah. what we do. And and your work I really like because it's it's handmade. I know you have stuff water jet cut, but you you know all your finish work you can, it's all done by hand. And I think that at least me personally, I have a lot of customers that reach out to me and they they appreciate that and they like that. Okay. I want this different handle and I want this. And at the end of the day, if somebody likes it and appreciates it, they'll pay for it. So it's kind of like, what's your time worth? Um, and do you want to turn into this company that makes the same knife with G10 handles and a stonewash blade and you just make a hundred of those? Or do you, you know, like I said, there's a lot of different angles to this, which is cool. And again, I'm not I don't look down at people for doing that. It's just not the way that I kind of set myself up to for the next x amount of years at least you know well the interesting thing i was thinking about when you had a you did an interview with brian cohen on the work for a podcast a couple years ago and you guys were talking he he had asked you if you were planning on uh doing the journeyman smith abs test now what was interesting to me was I started. It started to think about. I started to think about because I, I talked to a lot of journeyman smiths, master smiths, and there is. And I talked to a lot of people who are in business. Like I, t- I talked to a lot of people who are in business to be in business, and they like the knives. They enjoy making and be a knife maker, but they think about they think about the data. They think about the statistics. We talk about what months are go- interesting, and the fact remains that there are so many similarities in terms of slow months and not slow months and stuff like that. What's, what was interesting to me was I started to think about it after he asked you that question. I started to think about the difference between in terms of design, especially looking at your work, like the mini muck, the pocket muck. There are so many knife makers who are in this for the craft. They're ABS knife makers. And a lot of their knives are very much along the lines of uh, their style of knives. Like if you, if you, let's just say you did, you said, I'm going to test for the journeyman Smith and I'm going to put a mini muck into the the five ju- knife knives that are judged most likely they might not they might not like it. who knows exactly I mean, who knows exactly. it's not that style knife and it's kind of like 
I guess I would compare it to like how Mareko does his knives. Like they're incredible. I mean, everybody knows his knives are incredible. Um, but he's a lot more in it for the craft right. and the almost uh, not the art of it, but kind of. And I feel like me and you, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like Please. we enjoy what we do. But it's it's a lot more business minded than what that is. You know what I'm saying? There is this major delineation between a lot of types of knife makers and people who are in business. And I can right off my hand, I can rattle, I can rattle, I could rattle off ten guys who are they're in it for the business. And they're, they're and I'm, I'm not just saying they're in it for the money, but they're like, this is a business and we have to see it like a business as opposed to and then then you start to see this the questions of you know, the, um, the, the peanut gallery, the peanut gallery in regards to, well, he's doing this while he's doing that while he's doing this while he's doing that. And it's just like, if you're, if you're into this as a craft or a hobby and you want to be a master bladesmith and you want to be able to just have a set of collectors and they buy those things that you make, that's fine. If you want to be in business to sell reasonably priced knives, then you have to make decisions that are a little bit harder than others. Sure. Sure. And I guess like, I don't remember what I said when I talked to Brian a long time ago, I, I'm pretty sure I said something like, I don't ever plan on doing that. I don't see the, right. the, the business value of that. I, I um, think that maybe if in the very far future, if I was able to, it might be some, it's, it's interesting, but I don't see a business side of doing it, I guess. I, I, the side I see for it was, I believe, I believe in the whole, you know, karate kid wax on wax off. I believe that that's part of, I had a friend of mine, my friend, John, who was an incredible blacksmith, taught me everything. He's, he lives up here and he's been saying, he's like, I'd love to come in to make a knife. And I would never in general, if you asked me to come into the shop, and make a knife, I would say no. He's done so much for me over my life. He let me use his shop for years. He's just like he'd been almost like a mentor to me. I was like, of course, let's just do this. And I thought he guys knows how to use a grinder. Guys knows how to make, you know, he uses a drill press. He's an awesome fabricator, one of the best fabricators. He could make a railing exact to down to three thirty, you know, a thirty second of an inch. No problem. Unbelievable. We started making this knife and he, I said, All right, so you know what to do. Cut this out of the steel and use the profile. It was like, I was just looking at my watch. I was like, why the fuck is this guy taking so long? And, I, and I'm just like, I'm like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, why? And I'm like, why is it taking so long? He's like, well, what do you mean? Am I supposed to go faster? I'm like, yeah, you're supposed to go faster. And it was interesting because like he had, he, this is a guy who has easily 40 years of experience, uh, let's say 35 years of experience in a professional metal shop working for different fabricators and having really responsibilities. But like, he has no knife making experience and he had no experience in terms of what things are supposed to take. And the, what it took him three times as long as it would have taken me. And I was like, I was getting, I was getting annoyed. And the funny thing is, is I know that the repetition has made me, I know the pressure I need to put. I know the feeling it needs to be. I know how much I should be doing with the sanding. I know how much pressure I should be putting on. I know how long something's supposed to be taking. And I would think for me, in terms of the business aspect, I know that if I said to myself, I'm going to do the Journeyman Smith test, I know for a fact that it would help me in terms of the efficiency of the final outcome. No question. But I don't want to do it. 
Well, that's all there is to it then. You don't want to do it. You don't got to do it. That's and, the thing. That's it. I think it's cool, but it's not for everybody, I guess. That's the thing. It's like I, I, I you know, I make the joke that I, I always pay and then I forget to renew and then I guess start over every five minutes. Oh, and you have to like pay to be a part of that or whatever? You, you pay to be an ABS. It's not a big, it's not an expensive thing, but it's like then you have to repay and then somebody's well, why don't you just put on reoccurring, reoccurring payments? And I'm like, well, if I care enough, if I want it bad enough. I'll do You'll it. Pay. Yeah. I'll pay. I'll do it. And if I don't, and I don't, I just end up starting over from scratch. And I'm like, oh, looks. And if I wanted it bad enough, I would have done it. And I obviously don't want it that bad. So it's like, you know, but I don't know. I, I, I find, I find design to be interesting. I, I find, especially with your work, you've made design decisions that are hard to do. I actually want to talk to you about your hog splitters. The oh, hogs, geez. oh geez, you make <laughs> you make these hogs split a hog splitter for if you know. I'm imagine like take like a take an axe handle and put it on a big cleaver. It's like a, it's like for splitting hogs. These butchers when they're splitting hogs down the spine, they have to use this goddamn giant cleaver. It's a two handed cleaver and they're ridiculous. And you can get them on eBay, but they're not cheap at all. It's almost more like a scythe and a cleaver at the same time. So you made these uh, hog splitters. Yeah. So so basically it started off as a, like I've got, a few years ago I started a YouTube channel that just shows off, you know, all the little steps on how I make knives and little tips and tricks like a lot of people do. I think I've got, you know, maybe almost 10,000 subscribers on there or whatever. And I was part of one of those YouTube build challenges right. and um and, and i'd always wanted to make one of these things but I, I never took the time to do it and i thought well this is a perfect time to kind of see if i can make one and kind of have it have a purpose at least you know and like i kind of said earlier, i schedule everything i do i schedule a little bit too tight so i don't ever have much time to do little side projects like that you know what i mean and it was fun to kind of put it in the schedule and tinker with it and and luckily it turned out really cool and um, I think I've made maybe, I think I'm on number six on those and they're wow. like, what are they? Th I think they're about three feet long. Yeah. Um, and it's a project every time, but basically, you know, I made one, somebody else had to have one, somebody else had to have one. So I just, and I've got two on order right now that I'm quite a ways out on starting on them. But, um, I think the coolest part about making those was, it was just, I was finally able to make one that was in my head for the last like five years. And. It actually turned out pretty cool. I mean, uh, I kind of added my own little flair to it to make it a little more uh, maybe modern or I don't know what you would want to call it, but um, they turned out pretty cool, I think. I, 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 what I loved looking about, I love them, number one. And because I, I get, we get, we started doing years ago. I hate, I made cleavers once. I hated it. I hated the grinding. I hated everything about it. I hated getting the steel. I hated all of it. The hard part I had was the heat treating. Because when we started to buy, we started to get rehandled cleavers, and we'd still do it. We get cleavers, my business partner, this is probably one of the most fun things he does. He goes on eBay, and he just grabs cleavers and then sends them to me, and then we'll do a rehab. And it's fun. It's like, they're fun to do. Um, but one of the interesting things is we've always, when I, when I, when I I'll, I'll, I'll sand them down, we'll take the handles off, we'll kind of, uh, I'll etch them to a certain degree, with the mustard patina, we'll clean them up and stuff like that. And what will always happen is we'll always see the quench line, the quench line or how they heat treat these cleavers. Mm, yeah. And you can tell that all of them are not fully hardened because one of the things is most of these cleavers, 
you know, these butchers are using baseball bats behind them and they got to, you know, they got to hit the spine and drive it through and stuff like that. So all the old ones usually have dings in them. Someone hit them with a hammer in the back and stuff like that. And if it was completely heat treated, it wouldn't, it wouldn't mushroom. It wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't uh, bend, you know, it would yeah. break. So we started to notice that it was almost what they, how they would quench them, all these you know, these, all these old, every single one I've ever done is they'll, they'll quench it into a, into like a, uh, not into a bucket. So it's like at an angle. So they the quench line will be, you know, from the top, the top corner to the bottom, like an inch below inch above the edge of the, on the heel. So you'll see this horizontal line, uh, this like 45 degree angle line, and you're just like, oh, that's cool. And then when we, when I would, you know, I would drill through the holes to make the holes bigger for the Corby bolts, we go, oh, so none of this is hardened. So the handles yeah, aren't hardened. Easy. Yeah. So what I was wondering was, how do you heat treat a big hog splitter like that? So the first one I did um, was I almost burned the garage down because I, <laughs> like, I mean, not joking, like it was real close to a disaster, you know. And I did it in a, uh, you know, those like stainless steel food, like heat pans. Oh yeah. Like are, a hotel pan. A hotel pan. That's what they're called. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was kind of wide yeah. and that's all I was doing is I was edge quenching it and I did a clayed hamon on it. So just to kind of add that feature to it, because I think that's super cool. Yeah. That, what you were just talking about. And I edge quenched it. And of course the whole vat of oil caught on fire and, um, on for, you know how you quench high carbon steel. A lot of times it, whoosh, yeah. fires up and then it goes out yeah since i did this in such a wide flat pan there was so much surface area at least this is my uh thought on it is it didn't go out so it was burning so hot in my garage that everything around it started catching on fire like all the rags and stuff i had around the buffing wheels caught on fire oh my god um, oh it was bad man and i got it all on video it was actually pretty funny looking back at it but i told myself okay when i do this again i got to come up with a little bit of a new technique so so now what I did is I bought one of those uh, like giant tall ammo cans. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. I, I think it holds like maybe five or six gallons of oil in it, something like that. And, you know, I I need to get a longer even heat because I've got the LB22.5, which works really good. I'd like to get that. I think they have one that's like over three feet deep, if I remember right. You could, you know what they Figured a way that you can like you can get ones that like uh, daisy chain together, like two of them together, and they right. have that like they have a back side that right. opens as well. Right. So I want to, and I, I think I might add one of those to the new shop. But like for now, I just bought this really like a three burner forge, and I just kind of do it by eye, kind of old school ways, and then I just do it out in the garage or out in the uh, driveway instead of the garage. You know, safety, safety first. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, because that's the thing. It's like if you heat, tr if you were to use a, I was, I was like, he, he has to edge quench because yeah. if you were to swing that thing, I always get worried about like fully hardened, you know, cleavers. Because if like you swing it hard enough, the weight and everything like that, who knows where it's going to break. Yeah. And I mean, I built these things to be used. I mean, I don't think that anybody that has bought them, I don't, I think they buy them more as a, like a show Ornam piece ornament. or like a, hang them on the wall right. or whatever, but they're, you know, they can be used. I think they're pretty cool. Like I said, I've got two more. I've got to get working on here pretty soon, but, uh, but yeah, that was fun. And I guess one of the cool parts about that whole process of doing that is, um, 
I, of course, created a lot of content around building those just because it had that wow factor. Yeah. Um, you don't see it every day. And it, it, I had a few reels at the time that really went crazy in the millions of views. And it made it to where I was went from, I think I had maybe 15, 16,000 followers on Instagram. And it brought me over 100 in a matter of a couple weeks just from those um that little bit of content I put out using that. So it was kind of a win-win, you know? Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you, was it the one where you're chopping the pumpkin in two? Slicing it in pumpkin Oh, I two? think that one did good. And there was one that I was just, gr- just grinding one of them. And uh, that one did pretty good as well. And I think that, you know, at that time when that happened, there was a lot of people that were getting those weird, crazy viral kind of videos that, and, and luckily for me, the video that, did that um you know it created a lot of new followers and a lot of them are into knives like some people i saw did videos that kind of didn't even relate to what they were doing that went viral and then it's like kind of i'm not going to say pointless followers but you know you know what i'm saying you want it yeah yeah you want to get if you want to get followers you want them to be something that will hopefully help your business out a little bit you know what i mean it's it's the whole thing i find the whole thing infuriating and fascinating at the same time and you can kind of see how the cool thing was was i I guess i would group people in turn i felt like there were batches of people who were getting amazing uh upgrades and followers and it was like all deserved all deserved. I don't, I don't, I don't, I would never criticize someone at all. I mean, that would be just like totally sour grapesy stuff. Yeah. I'm happy for, for, but it was this fun little, you see this burst, this burst yeah. of people. And, and it was you and Honor Kaglar and guys in every film, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Cat, Chris Cash, Chris Zepp, um, Riley Kirkpatrick. It was like this beautiful burst of people just you guys do a lot of work. You put it all in and you just like, you've all like got through this beautiful slip. I call, I usually call it the slipstream of like, like there's, this, there's yeah. this little slipstream that you can get into a virality that it's like, and I was just so, I was happy for all you in Brian house too. There was like, he, there was like this moment of like this big surge of a few guys. And it was like really kind of neat to say. Yeah, and I don't even know, like, I I might still be happening on there. I'm not really sure. I mean, uh, I'm not seeing it as much, but there was like a few month period where I'm like, wow, this guy just had one that hit 4 million views and this yeah. guy, wow, you know, and then, and I kind of thought like, man, I'm putting out a lot of, I mean, for the last five years, I've posted every day, you know, it's been my thing, like I'm right. gonna post every day. I don't miss a day ever. And I thought, man, one of these times one of these videos has got to go crazy, you know? And it, I was talking to my wife about it one day and then it was, and then I told her, I was like, wow, that one of me grinding the cleavers got like a hundred thousand views in a day. Like this might be one that goes crazy, you know? And it was like, that was it. And luckily before that happened, I already had a pretty big list of uh, orders. Like it didn't, I guess, I think sometimes maybe people think that it's like if that happens, you're just going to, you know, blow up and everybody's going to buy stuff from you. And it doesn't really mean that at all. You know, I I think that I saw maybe a slight jump in orders, but um, just because you got the followers and the views and all this stuff, it doesn't really turn it just automatically turn into money. You know what I mean? It's uh, tell me all about it. I mean, I know all about it. I think there's this this mischaracter mischaracterization of what's happening with people. One of the things, I mean, we've really had to, you know, for us, social media was an avenue to get people to our website. Now, the past year, our website has been very 
interactive and there's so much inventory. If there's no inventory on there, it's impossible to get people to wait. You know, so like you have to have things there or make things easy for people to get. And for me, it's interesting because I've the there's only one video I ever did that got like eighty thousand views, and it was like this stupid video of of this little plant. This little plant was I have this sign that I just obviously didn't seal well enough, and this like plant was growing out of it. And then I did this I did this pan of the sign, and then I did a uh, like a a pan of the the plant and I played the the Queen song where uh, Freddie Mercury says I want to be free and oh, that's, that's the only thing I ever and I'm just like God damn it this is the that's only the one that goes you know that's, that's and the it didn't one. even go yeah. I mean eighty thousand views was just like you son of a bitch and 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 I didn't even like <laughs> it, it was so infuriating I was like I'm dancing around here I'm trying to do everything I can and not have to do you know pull my tits out and all that stuff and all of a sudden this is the one that goes you sons the of bitches plant. you. You know. Well, I heard you talking the other day about, um, you know, you not jumping on the TikTok bandwagon thing. And it's like, I think that I, I mean, I've been on there for over a year now. And I think, I'm not going to say it's a game changer, okay? But you're already doing everything right. for Instagram, okay? It takes a minute to cross post. And, and, I'm not telling you, I mean, you do whatever you want to do. I think you're doing a fantastic job with everything you do. It's really, really cool. I love watching everything you do. But I think that taking, just saying, ah, I'm not fucking with that because I don't yeah. want to do it. That's not the answer. And I've had people, I saw a different kind of story with that. I started doing a lot of elk handler, okay? A lot of elk handler yeah. handles. And I've talked with a lot of different people about doing it. And so many people have told me, man, I don't mess with that shit. It's too messy. And too, and it's like, well, then you're losing money. And that's all there is to it. It's kind of the same thing with TikTok. If you're going to say, oh, I'm not doing it because all these kids are on it and all this stuff. Well, you're losing money because I've sold a lot of knives off of there. Um, it's not It's not all just kids on there. I think it's the majority. But I've sold knives to older guys. And I've sold, you know, I think that. Anytime you have a different avenue that you can take, it's kind of silly to not take it. You Matt, know what I mean, I'm well, here to yeah. I'm here to listen. Okay, <laughs> I'm not I'm one I'm not one of these guys who says I know everything. I'm here right. to listen. I'm right. here to listen. Yeah, and I don't know. Like I said, I don't know. I just think that for me, anytime I put a reel up on Instagram, I I'll just cross post it there, and and a lot of times, you know, it doesn't turn into anything, but. I'll be damned if sometimes, hey, I get an email, hey, saw this on or saw this on TikTok. I'd like to get one ordered, and it turns into a sale. So um, I think that, especially right now, with how tough Instagram is uh, at reaching new people, if you if you're trying to make more sales and you're trying to grow your business, to not to to honestly, it's just due to laziness. Not go after every single avenue that you can reach is silly you know matt i'm listening i'm listening <laughs> i one thing i will never do is say i know everything if you tell me that it was a game changer for you no 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 I'm no no i didn't say it was a game oh, changer did i say it was a game yeah, changer did I say that? Lived, that was the first sentence you said no, no, game well, changer well maybe that's a little bold of a okay, statement okay. okay that's fine but i like bold I like it bold. was a little bold of a statement but okay it was how about this okay about go this? ahead it's worth doing all right bam all right, look look listen i i'm a sucker 
you know, I'm a, I'm a sucker. And well, a couple things for me is I always don't want to be, I'd rather just, I'm a big fan of slow and steady wins the race. Yep. Everything I've ever done, I know things take time. And I'm, I, the, as, the older I get, the more accepting I am of the fact that it, things don't happen overnight. What happened with Josh Smith is not average. Is what not, happened with him? I don't know. I, I you don't know about knife, Montana Knife Company? Oh, well, as far as just how, I mean, he kind of blew up pretty fast. He, like, I don't know when he got into well, the game. He but. was, I mean, he was, a, I had him on a couple years ago. He called me, uh, I wouldn't want to say like five years ago, called me up. He listened to Knife Talk. He was, he was in a truck in the middle of Montana, snow everywhere. He's waiting for his crew to come. He's waiting for his crew to come. He's one of the youngest master bladesmiths in the United States still to this day. I think you got it at like, I don't know. I want to say 16. I might be wrong. Don't tell you know, don't, don't correct Very me. Cool. It's fine. Yeah. And he tried to figure out a way and he called me up. I want to say five years ago. And he says, I listened to the podcast. I heard you have a business partner. Tell me about your relationship. And I, we talked. We talked while he was waiting for the crew. He's in the middle of the snow waiting for this crew of linemen to show up. And I explained to him, I said, look, I'm not a good business person. Creative people generally, and the best thing you can do as a non-creative person is to say, I want to be good at business. And what can I do? Well, what I can do is find someone who can can help me someone who can who can strengthen my weaknesses and and we talked about it for a long time next thing you know he says i think i think i, I talked to him again i think i got a guy it was this brandon horoho or whatever his name is who had big into photography big into big building businesses they Ooh. started montana knife company uh, in the middle of the pandemic he had already gotten some oh it was that recent that's wow okay. montana knife company he had already started he figured out the name he figured out the stuff and then the the beginning of the pandemic is when he really started and the growth has been ridiculous and a lot of it has to do with the fact that he he's tied in that the, the, a lot of it is because he's he and his guys have figured out a group of people who are very very loyal to certain brands and those people yeah. are crossfitters and hunters and uh he's hooked into the mma community he's cooked into the joe rogan community joe rogan Jeez. wears his hats on the podcast dana go. white dana white wears his t-shirts it's oh, all wow. very like i mean he has like hooked into a very very the crossfitting people they've trained so they can hunt and then they hunt so they can fight and they can fight so they, and they all have the same they know the same people they want to be part of this particular tribe yep. he has done something that a lot of people can't do and he's figured out a way to do people are he, people are loyal to his brand and he made his knives so hard to get like they'll the, every time he does a drop everything's gone in 3 minutes and people wow. get and he called me up and he, he we we t I had him on the podcast he says people are mad I want I got one of the first knives and the hilarious part was there was a misprint on the box and I asked him about that. And he goes, "Oh shit! I didn't think you were going to bring that up." And I said, "Is this, is, this a is this a collector's item?" And he goes, "Well, yeah. If you think that the first palette we got was spelled wrong, and we were a bunch of idiots, you know, it's wow. like fine." But like, well, you're telling me, you're telling me that he brought on 
this other yeah. guy that yeah. had mm-hmm. a little bit of an in probably with this whole market. He had and, experience in marketing. He, had, yeah, he was experienced yeah. in building outdoor businesses. I think, I'm pretty sure, he had an experience in building these outdoor businesses and creating this creating this brand and wow. that's what they did and he was a photographer and he knew what to do and he and and Josh trusted him and he was smart to do it and they've just been building on this level that's just unheard of yeah, of, yeah. i see some of what he does and i see i've seen those knives that he does and um i think it's i think it's awesome like it's such a it's almost like an art form to even pull that off like to be able to reach that market and to create, you know, like you said a long time ago, a knife is a knife, but he's created a hype or this other guy has created a hype for these knives that is just unbelievable. And it's not, you know, you look at the knives, they're very cool. They look very well done, but it's a knife, you know, and how that all falls into place and turns into what it's turned into is it's so cool. What he's done is the probably the most, I mean, the fact is, is the things that he understands. I mean, he's a master bladesmith. So he knows what he's talking about. He understands steel, he understands grinding, he understands profile. What he, the biggest success I would say in regards to what he had, I'm not talking about the things he had was the ability to say, I need help. This guy's going to help me and I'm not going to micromanage him. That and and I trust him really. What it comes down to, and you're saying when you talked to him on the phone that day, it was something that he thought he was like, I would like to turn this into something big. He called me up before Montana Knife Company, and he wanted to talk about my my relationship with my business partner. And I explained to him what I said. I'm he's not my employee. He I don't micromanage him. I don't browbeat him. I trust him. I've known him for a long time. I trust his decisions, and that's what partnership is about. It isn't about he's my employee and I fucking light him up all the time. I mean, I got, he's got to want to be here too. And, and the partnership, the reason why you give him the partnership is because he understands that you value him to the point where he's willing to work hard because he knows if we all do good, then we all do good, you know? So it's like, it worked out. And, but I think that, you know, he's, he's, he's hit the right, he hit the slipstream. I mean, Josh yeah. has hit the slipstream, and I'm happy for him. And he's done and everything it's right. Rare, he goes to he goes to all the he goes to all the hunting. He he's seen at all the hunting events. He does all the archery events. He does all the, the fucking the hunting things. He does everything. He does it right. He does a good job. Yeah. Now, so here's the thing, though, well, and he if... won't take my calls anymore, which is <laughs> he's a big shot now. I mean, you gotta <laughs> be little, kidding me. Uh, I mean, I help this motherfucker, and he oh, won't even, he won't return my texts. No, he's a big shot. But well, just, um, he'll get, he'll I guess here's the thing: if if that fell into your lap, and I'm not saying it fell into his lap, yeah. I'm saying if you were able to do that, is that something that you would want to take on? Would you want yes. to be... Okay, see, and that's the difference between me and you. I don't want to get to that point where I've got... I, how many employees does he have now? Dozens. Oh, dozens. And and I don't I don't want that. I, do. I don't. I could That's do fantastic. See, that's the difference, I mean, and I, that's what's awesome about it. My, the problem for not the problem, but my my on my father's side of the family, we they all had business small businesses with a few employees, and it's like I want to do this for as long as possible, but at the same time, there's going to be a point where maybe I can't do it. Maybe I need more help, and I I believe that I believe that I could I believe that 
this could be something more than it is. And I and I and I'm and I'm willing for that to happen. Like I'm wow. that's one of the reasons why I took on employees. If I just wanted to hang out in the shop all day, I would have been like forget. I mean COVID was great because I was by myself the whole time. But I mean if I wanted to be I mean if you're in if you want to be in business, what the fuck are we doing here? So it's like Well, you know, so you're saying you'd want you you you'd take on as much work as you can get. So right now your issue if you said you had an issue would be moving more knives. That's the problem. Like how can we push out more knives and I'd like to hire somebody else and push out more knives and more knives and more knives you're saying. Well, I mean right now I have inventory of over 100 knives in stock. Wow. They didn't go. I mean, they go every so often and from Christmas time I'll have more to go, but yeah, I just bought it. I went to Home Depot and bought another case to to, to hold I I got a ton of stuff. They're not okay. selling like, you know, like gone in three minutes i mean I, right you know, so what are you doing to what are you doing right now to try to work on that like, i want your, more i mean we're working on the website we're trying to do as much i mean the good thing is is like it's slow and steady wins the race and it, i'm not it, they don't none of it goes bad and the cool thing is is now we have stuff that people look on and they look on and they grab it like there's stuff there's an old knife one guy picks a knife up that i made uh six months ago and i'm just like oh that one went great and yeah, I that's awesome. Sharpen it and put it in the put it in the mail, and it's I like it. I I like the fact that I don't want the, the, when you go to someone's website and it's like for, sold out, sold out, sold out, sold yeah. out. That sucks. You know, you yeah. want to have you, people should you want people to be able to see what you have, and this is what we wanted all along. So actually, three years ago, I had made the commitment that I said I'm going to have a hundred knives for Christmas. Wow. And it was, it was, I, that was a couple of years ago and it was just, it was before I had anybody and it was like, it was, I just did with custom orders and everything else when it happened. Now I'm there, you know, now I'll be there now. And without, without even really kind of having to like crack the whip. I mean, we, we make a, a lot of knives. We make a lot of uh, custom stuff. I have stuff and it goes on the website and it's great. I will, you know, we were recently we're talking with these goddamn uh, public relations companies because we need new eyes. Wow, you know, and, interesting. Wow. And what has that turned into so far? So far, a headache because because <laughs> because we've had we've interviewed two companies and they've given us their you know you listen to these people and they're blue skying that and leveraging this and they're using all these buzzwords that you're just like just wow. talk to me like a normal person. But the real interesting thing was the way social media has changed the marketplace is public relations companies now are brokers with our brokers. So they have guarded connections with TV, magazines, you know, the newspapers uh, uh, nationally. And what happens is there's this weird pay to play thing that's apparently very common. So like if you go on to Good Morning America, I'm not saying I'm going on a Good Morning America, I'm just using them as an example. Mm -hmm. they, might they might suggest that you have an affiliate code that when people buy your product through the affiliate code, you pay Good Morning America. And I'm using them as an example. I'm not, I'm not saying that's what they do. So there are these pay-to-play programs with magazines and newspapers and television. And there are things where you might have to just, you know, add an extra 10% onto your price because you got to pay, you know, <laughs> Brian Gumbel. <laughs> right. Like you're saying a lot of these companies are probably, they're like reaching out to Probably social media people, bigger guys. To they them, don't. Maybe they push. stay away from social media. If you any of these PR companies, if you ever go to their Instagrams, it's nothing. There's nothing. There's like a hundred followers, two hundred followers, because they know that they're not going to compete with somebody like 
Alex Steele, or I like this guy right now. One of my favorite guys on Instagram is Luke McFadden. He's a crabber from uh, from Maryland, and he's just got his like kind of got this Dennis the Menace kind of thing going on, and he's running his boat, and he has this thick Baltimore accent. He's a super nice guy, and he's created his own. You know, he doesn't need a public relations company and the thing is is these these pr companies they know that they're just like i can't compete with guys like him what the fuck do i what do i do for him but what i am going to tell him is i here's the list of all the contacts i know from these you know magazines and newspapers that people you know with money read and you're going to end up you know i'm going to get you in some of them and and you're going to pay me four thousand dollars a month oh yeah so it's just like (laughs) yeah so it's just like you know, we have a budget, not $4,000 a month. That's for sure. I was like, I'm like, I said to, I said to my, my business partner, I'm like, look, your, your budget's going to, ain't going to be four. We're not paying $4,000 a month to get, hopefully get on, you know, the, you know, a small page on the Wednesday times. It's just not no. going to happen. No. Um, but at the same time, I'm not saying no. Right. Well, you got to do what you got to do and you got to, there's a lot of different avenues to take, but I don't know. And again, I don't know the right ones. I think there's lots of them, you know, but, um, that's really cool, the Montana knife thing. That's, but that's like a one in a million kind of deal. He blew up and, and it all works out. It really wasn't good, a fluke. You know? It wasn't yeah. a fluke. I mean, the interesting thing is, is like he has just years of being a real hunter. Oh, yeah. And he's found that hunting life and he's just everything about it was right, you know. And the, the Master Bladesmith didn't hurt, you know. It's like he, exactly. he writes on the it's box. Awesome. Designed by, you know, Master Bladesmith Josh Smith. So it's like, everything about it is awesome and um i believe that he is focused less on what knife makers do i mean he didn't go to blade show he didn't feel the need to go to blade show i mean why would he i mean it's like what for what to give so so unless he wants to sell merch i mean he sells a pile of merch you know all these guys want to walk around like they they're in the they're in the no it's like van dutch almost you know remember von dutch you know where people (laughs) (laughs) i'm that's the fuck that's what you got to come up with don't worry about the reels come up with that von dutch hat where you're like the everybody's got to have it. yeah everybody's got to have it so it's like you know the whole thing i find it to be interesting and right now what i'm focusing on now is there is for sure and i've said this on knife talk i'll say it here there is for sure a, a type of uh i hate using the word um suppression but there is a suppression and just to further if you're suppression of knife makers and gun guys and all this stuff and just to kind of like keep this as clear as possible it stems from the section 230 section 230 is part of i think it's the, the communications act it has a part section 230 is a part of um this american law that protects companies like youtube instagram facebook from being sued for the content that's posted on their site so like if you see something on their website you see something on youtube that offends you you can't f- sue youtube youtube is uh, protected under section 230 so a number of months ago there was this there was this case called uh gonzalez versus google where the gonzalez family had this tragic thing happen one of their children were killed by an isis fighter in paris and the lawyers made the point that the isis fire isis fighter was recruited by YouTube. Well, okay, Section 230 protects YouTube, okay? Except for the fact that the algorithm would have videos afterwards saying, if you like that, maybe you'll like this. So that's this loophole that's, that avoids, that, that all of a sudden the algorithms in the deep learning software, deep learning software is, and it's not really AI, it's deep learning software. 
they're 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 putting up you watch a video and then they're putting another thing in the algorithm you watch well you were watching videos of girls with big tits in the bikinis and all of a sudden why is my why is my feed filled with all these women in bikinis well the algorithm says well if he like that maybe he'll like this so what they're doing is they're self-policing to a certain degree and t turning towards things that could be problematic for them just so they won't be, they're trying to cover their ass. So they're not really suppressing as in they're covering their ass. So I'm noticing based on the reels that I do, there's these, you know, there's the metrics in regards to how many, how much is being pushed out into non-followers and i can see the stuff i did i did one i did a test i did a chop the piece of bamboo i can i have 34 34 non-followers looked at it then i cooked some food for five thousand non-followers saw the food all right so what does that tell me i got to do more cooking with the knives in it if i want to reach new eyes than chopping bamboo because instagram's just like let's not promote this one yeah so what we're doing is I'm trying to do more cooking stuff to, and we'll see. We'll see. I'm trying to drive more people to the website. Yeah. I, don't, I understand what you're saying. I think it's all how it is, unfortunately. And it's just like, like I was saying, when I saw my page kind of gain that amount of followers, it's like at the end of the day, when everything mellows out and goes back to normal, um, you know, like you said, you can see all your interaction and all your views and all your things. It all kind of went right back down to almost where it was at before. So you have to build a loyal following. And then even a lot of times the people that do follow you loyally don't see what you're doing because of what you just said. Right. So it really is a, I'm not going to say it's a losing battle, but, um, I don't know a way around it because I still feel like Instagram is that is probably the number one way of moving especially what we do um you know i because i've never done and i've never done like a show where you like go and set knives out oh. and people buy them or whatever i don't think that that's the answer you're trying to explain to somebody why your knife's expensive and all this stuff i don't i don't want to do that um so you kind of just have to make do with what with what you've got if that's your business plan the hard part is is nobody likes change the harder part is Instagram likes to change all the time. <laughs> that, so it's exactly. like, so it's like, yeah. I remember, you know, there were some, I had some good slip streams where I kind of bumped up and then I was, you know, like fight for the last two years. I've been fighting for like a thousand followers and it's like, obviously something's changed. I've talked to a lot of other guys and whatever, I'm not complaining, but you have to figure out, you have to be flexible and sometimes you don't want to be flexible. It worked all this time. Now all of a sudden, it doesn't work anymore. However, it's free, and uh, we've 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 logged a lot of dollars. On I pay the American, I pay the IRS plenty of money for all the money I've made with 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 Fader Knives because of social media. So it's like you, you can't. I mean, you can scream and holler, but all of a sudden, it's just like, well, you know, we we're getting to the end. You know, we're we're or, or not. We're getting to the end, but I mean, like we had a we had a good run. Exactly. Exactly. But it's interesting. I find it to be interesting. I find it all to be interesting. And the interesting thing is, is I talk to a lot of other makers who are, who go are in the field of making content to help other people, you know? So like Chris Cash or they're, 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 you know, they're, they're, they're in it for the maker community. They're in it to like teach or something like that. I don't want to teach anybody. And the, the times I teach people, then all of a sudden it's just like, I get messages saying, thanks, man. Now I'm going to make a hundred serrated knives and, you know, I'm stealing your, I'm stealing this, I'm stealing this. And now they go out of, they go out of their way to tell me I'm going to steal this. 
which which yeah. is not I never find it to be funny frankly no. I never find not one time do I find it to be funny but it's like at the same time you know I got to put something out yeah I think well like I've said it before there's a lot of different ways to go about this whole business and like you know you said if you could sell you know a thousand nights a month and hire 20 people you'd do it and I'm I'm kind of the exact opposite where I'd like to like to kind of mellow it out a little bit more than what it is right now for me um, and kind of switch to <clears throat> more of that instructional type stuff, which is kind of my long-term game um, and, and try to go that route and, and maybe make it, I, I, it's something wrong with me to where I don't want to, you know, I don't need X amount of money. I'm, I'm pretty simple. I think you know that. Um, and if I can just continue to do what I'm doing, mellow it out a little bit, cut the stress down a little bit, which is my plan. Um, that's all I need to be happy. You know what I mean? I, you know what's weird is I hated stress when I was younger and I was like yeah. put in these positions where I would fold under stress. To oh. me now, I'm like trying to make up for lost time where oh. my business partner and I worked in the same restaurant together and one, we, they would, the restaurant would book like two parties at the same, on the same day. I'm like we don't have enough room, and they they would be like, and they would say to us, "Make the mess," wow. and we would have to cough it up. And I, for some reason, like I, we, I like to make the mess. Like right now, I got a message from uh, our where there's a guy who wants to, us to make eight eight thousand steak knives, eight thousand <laughs> steak knives. And in my mind, I got a message saying this guy wants to make wants eight thousand. He wants uh he wants like a two thousand. He wants five. He wants four different variations of steak knives. Two, th- How legit is this? Well, I ended up sending a message to to uh, Allison, who does the thing. I said, "Look, don't spend a lot of time on this. He's a friend yeah. of a friend, so somebody knows him." And I said, "The most important thing is do not spend a long time on this because steak knives for restaurants are a loser. Number one, number two is." These guys have these great ideas, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, so you want to pay $80,000 for steak knives. Who, who's, who's running this restaurant? You know, who's, <laughs> who's, who's going to be cutting this check? Who's crazy yeah. enough to want to pay $8,000 for steak knives or $80,000 for steak knives? But I said, so I said, she said, can you do it? And I said, I'll do it. I'll make it. If you guys can wow. work the deal out, I'll do whatever it takes because it would be fun to see if I could do it. Like kind of push yourself mentally on that. I don't way, think it was eight thousand. I think it was eight hundred. Uh, I think it was okay. 800. I was eight thousand. No, no, eight thousand. Like, I made a mistake. It wasn't eight thousand. Eight hundred. Because okay, I would. Because I'm thinking about. It, I'm just like I'm not making eight thousand anything. <laughs> so, but eight hundred. Eight hundred. I'm not mad about. It. I I could call. Wow. I would. I would entertain eight hundred. I wasn't know why I said eight thousand. Eight hundred. So, I said to her. I said, look, don't spend a lot of time on this. You and Tony work out at the price. And I'll figure out how we can do it. And I'm not saying no. And be, and as part of it's just like, I want to see if I can do it. Let's I don't think it it's going to happen. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm, I'm actually like pretty sure it's not going to happen. But at the same time, it's like, man, you never know. You never You're not know. scared. You're not scared. I mean, I make the mess. There you I go. mean, what are we in business here for? Fucking there you go. for what? So I can sit in my car here and just chat away. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I'm not sure. That's why I guess we're. Uh, listen, why not make the mess? I like a tr- I like a problem. You know, I don't mind. A pro- I don't mind. I, the, the, we get into this situation where we get stressed out about things. It's just like I I've now I've now. I've really now I'm about to turn fifty, and I'm like I'm going to do everything I can to not get stressed out about things that I cannot control. There you go. And it's like 
it's it become something that like so much has come up in my to my plate that I have to deal with. They're not it's not my problem, but it's I have to deal with them, and I'm trying to figure out the best way to do it. And you know, what are they going to do? They can't open the restaurant with a steak knife. Okay, you know, I uh, it's going to take it's going to take what it's going to take. But we could do it. Well, I guess it's so. We didn't get into this at all, but over the last year, okay, I've been doing this knife thing, and I'm also building a house. Right. And um, through this process of doing this, even just over the last year, like going through the whole thing, dealing with all the contractors, dealing with materials, dealing with, there's been a lot of situations that were beyond stressful, you know, just an absolute nightmare. And so now that that's past me, and we're like, I'm starting on the new shop actually right now. It's like so easy. So when you go through all this stuff that stresses you out and, you know, you lose sleep over everything else just seems a lot easier, you know, and this is all kind of materialistic type stuff. It's not, you know, somebody has cancer. That's a whole different deal. Right, right. But being able to just step up and say, you know, well, I just did this. So, I mean, this is nothing to do this. It's just like what you're saying. If you had to make 800 steak knives, you just step up, you make 800 steak knives. Like whatever I've made, made them before. Why not? Let's do it again. You know, the weird part is as you get older, now my wife and I are getting to the point where we, uh, an anxiety comes up, a stress gets up, we fix it or finish the problem. We, you know, overcome this anxiety. We do not feel satisfaction from it. <laughs> And we turn to each other and say, what's next? What? Ex-? <laughs> and it's a very, very sad situation. Like in order to going through the bureaucracy of, of, of dealing with my mother and Medicaid and making sure she's okay. She had a stroke. She's got dementia and trying to figure out everything was like, everything was falling upon me and power of attorney and all this stuff. And I thought, all I have to do is get her the Medicaid. All I have to do is get the social security transferred to the place that she's at. All I have to do is move her out of her house and then everything's going to be fine. I finished it, got out of the Medicaid, got out of this, got out of that, moved her out of her fucking house. And I said to my, I said to my wife, I'm like, how come I don't feel satisfied or relaxed at all? And she's like, I don't know, man. He's like, the next thing is going to come up and you're just going to have to deal with that too. So you just do it. I don't, I mean, like, it's like, it's like, it's, I get, I never feel any type of relief. So I've tried to like, just not be stressed out about things that are out of my control because it's just too much. There's no point in it. So when do you have that kind of sigh? Like, oh man, there we go. Well, weekends. When does that happen? Because I I can tell you when it happens to me and it's probably silly, but you tell me. Well, I lost a ton of weight and I'm feeling really good. And I'm, uh, the past, since the pandemic, I've been, I've been feeling, this is the healthiest I've felt and we, my daughter, we're taking my two weeks. We're taking my daughter to college, and we've been spending the weekends doing fun things as a family. I like waking up on a Saturday and not having to do anything. I like, I like not going in the shop on the weekends to work. That's hmm. to me. It's like I get up, I exercise, I walk the dogs. I'm in my shorts. That's in clean and clean. You know what the feeling like when you're clean and wearing shorts and a t-shirt? You're, everything's oh, yeah. clean. You have a clean shirt, clean underwear, clean shorts, and everything. Your skin is clean. Your hair is clean. Everything's clean. It's almost like I'm not supposed to do anything now. <laughs> That's when I feel the sigh of relief. It's just like every wow. I'm clean, and I I've gotten everything done, and now I don't have to. I don't have anything to do. 
Hmm. Or Interesting. Like, yeah, that's what that's to me is the sigh of relief. I felt like so. A long story short, okay. So I we got this occupancy permit on our house, okay. When this was maybe maybe two three weeks ago, and I had it scheduled to where I'm paying somebody to come and just frame the knife shop, okay. Right. So I'm he's just putting up the real rough framing, and then I'm doing every other step of it. And so it was scheduled to where right when I got done with that final inspection, bam, I'm going to start on this knife shop. So stuff got pushed back to where he's not going to start framing it. And we had this like, it's been about two weeks of, okay, I don't really have a t- like a ton of things I need to accomplish today. And it's been really weird, man, because it's been almost a year of where I get up early. I work in the knife shop till two or three, jump in the truck, go out and work on the new house until I'm tired, go to bed every day, every mm-hmm. day, every day, every day. And it's gotten to where it's almost just normal. Like, I don't feel like I'm overworked. I don't feel it's just like what I do. So now I'll work and then it's kind of like, all right, uh, what do I have to get done today? I don't have like something I need to check off the list. And as and like you're saying, you have this feeling of like, oh, man, this feels good. I don't have anything to do. I feel like a piece of shit because I don't get anything done for that day. It feels like, all right, I need to get something done today. I need to make progress or else I have this like. I don't feel good. You know what I mean? I only feel that way if it's a, if it's a day I'm supposed to be in the shop. Like if it's like after after the pandemic, I mean the pandemic was, was hard on everybody, but it was like, my kid really was like alone at home a lot. And I really went out of my way to stop working weekends so I could spend time with her. And we really kind of developed quite a good relationship for it. And I just, you know, and, and I just, I've decided to keep it that way. So if I'm organized enough during the week, then I can spend time with my wife. I can spend time on, you know, stuff in the house and maybe hopefully we're going to move in the next couple of years. And, you know, it's something, you know, the satisfaction I get is being in a state of efficiency where by Friday I've sent in, I've written the newsletter, I've sent it to Allison, I've taken the pictures of all the knives going on the website, I've taken the measurements and the weights and the names and just, I've sent them all to her and we're just finishing off the rest of the Friday, getting ready for Monday and then Saturday and Sunday I just, I don't think about, I mean we're doing, you know, emails and texting and stuff like that but I don't, I'm not like doing any hard, I'm trying not to do any hard labor on the weekends. And that's that's the satisfaction. That's nice. Being clean, like clean shorts. I'm telling you, there's something about it. You get some nice shorts too. You get the, I get the, I get sometimes as I got older, I started buying nice clothes to relax in because it'll force me not to work in them. Oh, good call. So I get the Patagonia pants, the Patagonia shorts, the Patagonia shirt, Patagonia underwear, Wow. Oh, dude, Look I don't you. fuck around. Look you know why? You. you know why? Because I cannot ruin these in the shop. I am not going to the shop in these. And that stems from 9-11. 9-11, I went to go, I was working in a restaurant at night. My wife was finishing up nursing school. 9-11, Monday morning, I, I woke up we, right before, we, before it all happened. And I said, hey, you know what? Why don't I drive you to school today? I get in the car in my cutoff shorts and clogs, no socks. And a, You're talking cutoff jean shorts. No, though. cutoff sweatpants shorts. Oh, nice. Like, okay, here no we go. pockets. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> cut a drawstring, cutoff sweatshirt shorts. I don't know why the fuck I was wearing them, but I was. I'm like, I'm not getting out of the car, so what do I need my wallet for? What do I need my keys for? What do I need socks for? What do I need any... 
So like I ended up, we ended up having to park the car by my old shop, which was three miles from our house. I had to walk home and I was completely unprepared wow. for, to, for this. And so that's why, <laughs> that's why I never schlep around in my pajamas. You don't leave the house like that anymore. When yourself. I wake up in the, when I wake up, I dress for what I'm doing. And if I wear the nice shorts and the nice shirt and the nice stuff, I know that I am not going to the shop because I'm not going to ruin these clothes. I like that idea. Oh, I dude. just haven't been able to do it yet. I'll get like, I've got one nice shirt and one nice pair of shorts that I got now and it's, I'll still be over there hammering nails or doing oh, something I shouldn't no, be doing. Oh, no, I like no, it. I like no, it. No. I need to take you up on that idea. No, really. no. And I'm not saying like a tuxedo. I'm saying like, you know, the Patagonia <laughs> shorts that, you know, are not meant to be worked in. Oh, yeah. You know, the Patagonia shirt that's nice, that's nice enough that you don't want to screw it up. And like, you know, I'm not going to shop in this. I'm not, not, not going to change. I'm not going to change. You know, you know, and, and the only problem was one time I had to change a tire in my car and I was furious because I was, like, <laughs> I was, not, I was not dressed to change a tire. Matt Gentry, you want honesty? I'm giving you the honest truth. I like it. I like it. And I'm going to take this and I'm going to think about it a little bit. You, I'll try to put it in Here's play. what you okay. got going like for it. you. Youth is on your side. Youth is on your side. Enjoy it. And and I I'm this is the first time the guys on Knife Talk make fun of me because I'm gonna be fifty. That's fine by me. I wouldn't change my age right now for anything because I've far more I've far more uh, enlightened in regards to where I'm supposed to be at this time in my life. And I'm just like I don't fool around. I don't fool around at all. And I've so I'm it's it's I'm enlightened. I feel like I'm enlightened. And I know what I know what I know what the meaning of life is. There you go. That's a good spot to be. That's a good spot to be. What's next for Matt Gentry? Oh, man. Well, like I said, I'm trying to, I guess my whole goal is to get this shop done and uh, moved into by by the fall is kind of my plan. But um, framing starts end of this week. I'll start wiring it all up. I'll get the roof on. And, you know, like you always say, bingo, bango, bongo, we'll be moving in. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then... Kind of like I was saying earlier, too, is I'd like to, if we're talking long term, I'd like to mellow out my custom list a little bit um, and either shorten it down a little bit or push the time frame out a little bit more. So I'm not so, I mean, right now I've got them pushed way too tight, but I think I've had over 100 on my on my list for three or four years now, and it's just gotten to where it's kind of normal, but I'd like to make it to where I'm not so like, if I, like if I was sick for a week right now, it would really put me in kind of a right. precarious position. And I'd like to get to where that's not the case. And kind of this next shop, um, my whole plan is to continue doing what I'm doing, really set this up to be as efficient as possible, because the more of this I do, the more I find just efficiency is so important oh. with every single step. You um, ain't kidding. And I've never, this is kind of the first time where I've been to the spot where I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm building this shop for the exact intended purpose. Like I'm not scabbing something together to make it work for this. It's like I'm building this shop so I can work out of it for the next, what, maybe 20 years exactly how I want to do it. So it's going to take me a little bit of time and everything's more expensive when you do everything the right way and really nice. and. Um, I'm going to try to kind of switch back to doing a little bit more instructional stuff, um, mellow out the customs a little bit. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of people that always ask about doing like little, uh, 
you know, shop days where they come in and, you know, I, there's a lot of people that, you know, you build a knife in a day and all this stuff. And I'm never going to do that. But what I kind of like to do is I have a lot of people that say, I want to come to the shop and you show me how to do Kydex or I want to just really work on, you know, grinding better bevels or sharpening. Or So I, I'd like to kind of make it to where I can schedule some of that stuff in to where I have little, I don't know, teaching days or whatever you want to call it and, and do a little bit more of that. And I guess just get this shop done and keep rocking. Look at you. Yep. Match entry. Yep. You figured it all out. Teaching. I don't know yet. I don't know. I just, well, I, I'm surprised because, I mean, I started that YouTube channel about five or six years ago now and, and it's grown and it just continues to grow. And I definitely see a value in continuing to work on that. Um, and and also when I when I first decided to try to do this full time, I kind of went back and forth on how I wanted to structure everything long term, because if I was going to do this, we're going to kind of try to do it long term. And, you know, going the route that you're going is one way where you hire a couple people. And I and I just I don't know if I've just got something wrong with me where I just don't want to go that route. It's probably like a stubbornness or a I don't know what you would call it, but I told myself I don't really want to take the business in that route. And like any business, like the detail shop or like you said, the restaurant business, it's like it hits a plateau no matter what. And and you don't you always want more. I, I've never found a spot where it's like, OK, yep, I'm cool with this. And then I'll just stick with this for 20 years and then we're good to go. You always want more from whatever you're doing. And so I decided like a long time ago that when I first started, I wanted to reach out and try to get more into the design aspect of this as well. And just recently, luckily, it literally took me almost five years to where a little bit bigger knife company has picked up one of my designs and they're going to turn it into a production line of knife. And I think that each time you do that, it just adds to the bottom line at the end of the month. And I guess at the end of the day, if you can keep that at what it's at, and maybe I can take some of these customs off my shoulders. It would all work out good. And like I said, I'm not some like greedy guy that needs a lot of money to be happy. You know, I'm I'm kind of trying to make a simpler life. And um, that, I think, is one step to, to get there, you know. It's all in the details, match entry, isn't it? Yeah, something like that, I guess. Something yeah. like that. <laughs> something like, guys, <laughs> thank you so much, Matt. That was a lot of fun. Guys, Absolutely. listen to, uh, go listen to me for right now for a second here. Matt Gentry on Instagram is Gentry Custom Knives. Go check out what he's got going on. Go to GentryCustomKnives.com. And what's your YouTube channel? Uh, it's the same thing. I think it's just Gentry Custom Knives um, over on YouTube. It's just all real specific uh, instructional stuff that you know it's probably kind of boring but if you're into making knives and you're into knives and you really have a specific question on how i do things i've probably answered it on that channel well i'll definitely put a link in the bio thank you so much that was a lot of fun we'll definitely have you back that we have a lot i think we have a lot more talk to talk about what do you think? definitely right, guys. definitely guys next week the return lila's going off to college she's gonna say goodbye She's going to say goodbye to all you people and me too. So she coming back. My daughter's coming back next week to say goodbye, everybody. So listen, go follow Matt on Instagram and YouTube and go check out what he's got going on. Go check out all of the sponsors of this fine podcast. Go follow me on Instagram. 
Full Blast Podcast on Instagram, or you know what, Fader Knives on Instagram if you want. Uh, next week we'll have Lila back, and uh, Matt, thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me, man. It was cool to talk to you. You too, man. All right, we'll see you next week, guys. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.